0: just observing things for a while, and they're like, so, preacher, what are you preaching on? Hosea. You'll understand in a minute if you don't understand right now. We're, we're beginning a, a section of the scriptures called the Minor Prophets, and the Minor Prophets are not minor because they're least important or less important. Uh, they're minor because they're shorter, thank goodness, uh, less to read, Right? Now you guys can keep up in the weekly readings. It's great. There's 12 of them. There's five major prophets, and we've already finished those. It's interesting. If you look at all of the minor prophets together, there's 67 chapters. Isaiah had 66 So um, a a much more condensed message when we come to the Minor Prophets, and usually the focus is singular in the message that God is conveying to his people or to those who are receiving the message. I, I love that as we go through the Minor Prophets, we see that God is not only conveying his message to Israel, but he has a heart and a message for people. This message of Hosea is very clear in its presentation. Hosea expresses in his message the sins of Israel, and he contrasts them with God's holiness. Beautiful poetry, poetic words, and descriptions come out of the book of Hosea as we look at God. But the nation must be judged for its sins. And as you read through this book, your heart begins to break for God as you look at the sins of Israel. But God will restore Israel, and because of His love and faithfulness, God extends that hope to them in this book as well. Hosea's ministry spans over 35 years. He is faithful to God, ministering in the northern kingdom of Israel. We've been dealing a great deal with Judah and the exile to Babylon and all of that. But uh, um, (laughs) Hosea focuses on that northern kingdom. And that northern kingdom has prostituted itself with other gods from the very beginning From its onset, it has not had a king and never would have a king that would follow the Lord. And as goes the leadership, so go the people. When we look at this nation, rather than placing their faith and trust in God Almighty, they look to men around them and they build alliances with with pagan nations, putting their hope and, and strength in them. And it's these alliances that would turn and eventually crush the northern kingdom of Israel. God uses Hosea to share in a passionate, powerful way his message to this northern kingdom. And Hosea, oh my goodness, illustrates in in, in a powerful way the image of what is going on with God and Israel when God asks him to marry a woman. Now it's interesting, I've, I've studied Hosea so many times, it, it's the focal point of, of a single devotion to God. I had the opportunity to preach this message in a less structured way to, to firefighters when they said, what are you preaching on? And introduced them to Hosea and I had come, become comfortable. With this message, I had become comfortable with this imagery that we see here. And as I began to share about Hosea at 2 a.m., it sounded different. Well, God had a prophet, Hosea, and one of them's like, There's a Hosea in the scriptures? No, Hosea. And he's God's prophet. Was he a good prophet? Yes, he's a good prophet. Well, what did God want him to do? Oh, no. This is where it got weird. Well, God wanted him to marry. Oh, that's cool. No, God wanted him to marry You don't understand how weird it is until you have to express it to someone who has really not that much understanding of the scriptures. God wanted him to marry a harlot. What? No. Yes. It was really at 2 a.m. this morning that I, I remembered and was reminded of the shock of this Imagery that we're given here. God instructs his prophet to marry a harlot. For some of us, we've read this book. It's it's comfortable, and and some have even looked at it as as a romance, not not romance really but it is a love story right hardly romantic it's kind of stomach turning really and it was at 2am sitting on a fire that I was reminded this is not natural this is not normal And it should cause us to go, what? I want to read for you the entire first chapter of Hosea. Before you panic, that's 11 verses. See, shorter, smaller, more condensed. But listen to what God says to his prophet, a good prophet, a man who loves the Lord. The word of the Lord, which came to Hosea the son of Beeri during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. It gives you that setting. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood shed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again, and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lorahmah. For I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses or horsemen. Remember the victory that God gave to Judah? Not one sword was drawn, but God gave him victory when Assyria came in. When she had weaned Lorahama, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Loami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet... The number of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said of them, you are not my people, it will be said of them, you are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together and they will appoint for themselves one leader and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Chapter 1 encapsulates, (laughs) no sleep is really bad when you're trying to speak, okay? It it encompasses the, the, the entire message that Hosea is going to be sharing. We see that Hosea enters into a covenant relationship marriage is a covenant relationship it's not just a promise it's not just i do i do it is a it is an intimate powerful relationship and he enters into this relationship with gomer knowing what will come she is a woman of harlotry I find that absolutely fascinating and I was reminded last night of how shocking that is. Because they were like, oh, so after they get married, she stops. No, actually she goes into it even more. What? That's horrible. It is. It's interesting having an audience that actually engages like that. It's it's interesting. Funny, I read that passage and no one was like... Sometimes we grow comfortable to the things that should shock us, don't we? The things that should cause our heart to sink, we just go, oh, we grow numb. I grow numb. I should have been shocked and abhorred when I read that passage this week. Even though I've read it over and over before, I should have come to it and been, oh my goodness. To see that she would continue in this and have children and God would use those children. But look at this covenant. God had entered into a covenant relationship with his people Israel. He'd given him the, the, his blessing, his promise, his love, his, his, his grace and mercy. Knowing what would come. Both Hosea and God Almighty show an amazing, loyal love in this book of Hosea. In the midst of just horrific unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness that should cause you shock. We look and we see fornication and adultery. It should break our heart. And the children. God, God gave three children there and their names. The names signifying the broken heart of God, Jezreel, God souls, Lo no compassion. Finally, Loami, not my people. Oh that, that, that man would do that to the righteous holy heart of God. He is all-powerful, he is almighty, but it is amazing that you and I have the capability of breaking his heart. The adultery. Chapter 2 gives a graphic picture of Gomer as she chases after other lovers. Put yourself in Hosea's shoes as she seeks fulfillment and and pleasure, never really finding it when she had all of that with Hosea. All along not realizing her husband was the one who loved her truly. Who would lavish his His blessings, His love on her. And we look and see the same picture with God in Israel. All those things lavished on her. And yet, fornicating with other lovers. Seeming to enjoy every moment of it. And when one would stop pleasing, moving on to the next excitement. Passion after passion, lover after lover, fornication after fornication. The gifts that were given are soiled in adultery. And a loving husband grieves. I can't imagine the grief that Hosea would go through. Understanding that he loves her, he entered into this covenant, striving so hard, watching Gomer run off with other lovers, forgetting him forgetting him. But we see that there is a redemption, a debt that is paid. Redemption. Oh, if you've never done a study on redemption, look into it. It is powerful. She will run. She'll face the consequences of her choice and actions. Love does not mean that judgment doesn't come. Love does not mean that consequences are not received. Love does not mean no punishment. We see that here. But there is redemption. Look at chapter 2, verse 19 through 23, you're like, you're going to read the whole book to us. I would love to. We don't have time. 19 says, I will betroth you to me forever. This is the redemption work. Our God saying this to Israel. I will uh, betroth you to me forever. Yes, yes. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. Imagine God having compassion after this. Imagine Hosea having compassion after she ran and fornicated herself like that. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then, You will know the Lord. No. It will come about in the days that I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the heavens, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grains and the new wine and to the oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will sow sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. There was no compassion earned here, but it is graciously extended. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. It's a beautiful chastening of our God after His people. Gomer would fall into the love and prostituting herself with so many that she would fall in debt to those that she fornicated herself with. Hosea would come along, he would find her lost, low, and and in despair. How low were you when God found you? Where were you at? Hosea finds her and he pays the debt. Not his debt, her debt. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. I promise I'm not reading the whole book. These are short chapters five verses. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband. What a what a beautiful way to describe Gomer. Love a woman who is loved by her husband. Not who has loved her husband. Loved by him. Yet an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raising cakes. That was part of the, the whole worship and feast of these pagan gods. So I brought bought her for myself, for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall... You have a man, so I will also be toward you. For the sons of Israel remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or household idols. Afterwards, the sons of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. The first three chapters captures the the story of the marriage of Hosea with his wife. Because as we enter into the message of Hosea, we see a man who conveys God's message with a heart that understands the agony. It is amazing when one goes through a trial, a difficulty, they are able to convey those things with greater passion, with greater impact. And Hosea, as he declares the message of God, is able to do that from one who has had his heart broke. And We find three different sections of his message. First, in in chapter four through about six, we see that there is spiritual adultery going on in the nation. Spiritual adultery and its graphic. Chapter four verse one and two gives a picture. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is a swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Look at verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I will reject you from being my priest since you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. God deals with the spiritual adultery. He calls it what it is. I I tried to think of a way that I, I could illustrate this. God wanted his people to know them know him and this knowing was a not an intellectual knowing we are so good at intellectual aren't we we feel good because we have knowledge of him we feel good because we have knowledge of the scriptures we say Hosea we know that it's even a book in the bible we have knowledge right and God says that's not what I'm looking for I want you to know me. I want relationship. I want intimacy. Know me. Don't know of me. Imagine the marriage bed. And yes, there's a reason there's a bed up here because I believe that pictures speak more than words can. Imagine the husband coming to his wife, and his wife says, wait, please sit at the foot of the bed, I've invited another lover. And she takes the roses that you brought for her, and she goes and she takes them and crushes them and spreads the petals on the bed. She takes the wine that you brought for a romantic time with her to go and and know her deeper. And she takes that and pours the glasses for her lovers. She says, please wait at the foot of the bed while I fornicate with these others. But just know this, I married you. I I am wed to you. I have a ring that says I'm yours. So you sit there knowing that you're my husband while I fornicate with all these other men. Over and over and over. And for some reason she can't understand why her husband is upset about this idea. That is Israel. God, we love you. You are our God. We worship you. We sacrifice to you. We celebrate your feast. God, you're our God. And in the very moment they go out in the vineyards that God has lavished and blessed them with, they go and take the wealth and they go and splurge with the other and fornicate with the other gods. They prostitute themselves with other nations. But God, we call you our God. You bless us. We're Israel. Let me tell you that just because you were born in the land of Israel and had Israelite parents does not mean you have a relationship with God. Just like coming here on a Sunday morning and sitting in these chairs doesn't make you a follower of Jesus Christ in an intimate relationship with Him. It would be silly to think that coming here puts you in a relationship with God Almighty. It'd be like me walking into a hamburger place and thinking, I'm a hamburger. It doesn't work that way. And we fornicate over and over and we find these other gods that bring pleasure and and it's disgusting. This is where it got interesting on the fire line. It got interesting because they could actually see that. They're like, yeah, I could see how God would be upset with that. I could see how that would would not really go well with him. The second session is, it, it shows their refusal to repent. A nation understanding what God is saying, hearing the message of the prophets and refusing to repent. Comfortable. In this relationship, sit at the foot of the bed while we fornicate. The best of both worlds. I'm married and I get all these other lovers. Sickening. And judgment comes, chapters 9 through 10, show that God is going to judge. And it's a passionate judgment. God is a passionate God. And he is passionately in love with the people that he has created. But when they sin, when they fornicate, when they prostitute themselves with other gods, he deals with it. But it's amazing as we look at this judgment of God, they're like, this is where you're going to preach about hellfire and brimstone and use the fire, right? No. God's wrath is tempered. With a heart of tenderness for his people. He loves her. He loves her. He chose her. He entered into this covenant relationship. I'm missing verses, sorry. Sorry. Look at Hosea 6.6. 6. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Don't make God sick with external things. He wants that relationship. Turn over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, in verse 7 through, through 9, God says something. I was, I was listening to this on Monday with my wife, and I, I, I paused it. I said, wow! I love this statement that God says of Himself. Listen to what He says. So my people are bent on turning from Me. Though they call... Them to one on high, none at all exalts him. They call out, they give lip service. There's no exaltation in their hearts. This is God's response How? How can I give you up, O Ephraim? That was the biggest tribe in northern Israel. How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zaboam? My heart is turned over within me. This is God speaking here. The tenderness in the midst of his judgment, and he says this, All my compassions are kindled. Oh, the loyal, deep love of our God. And listen to what verse 9 says. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. For I, I love this, I am God and not man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. I'm God, not man. I don't respond like you would. I am God. What a statement. I I had to pause it. I was like, wow. And God expresses his redemption in this book. The the foretelling of the things that are coming. there's, There's prophecy in it. Foretelling is the immediate message of you are sinning and you will be judged. You are You're prostituting yourself and fornicating yourself with other gods. That's the foretelling message, the immediate message. But there's a foretelling, and there's a near judgment that's coming, and there is a far message that's coming. He says, Assyria is going to come and destroy you. The very one you made alliances with will come in and crush you. You put your faith in them, watch out. It's amazing the things we put our faith in that constantly let us down, fail, and sometimes even crush us. And then we see that he says in the foretelling, his loyal love, I will redeem you back to myself. He's speaking of that time when Christ will return to earth, when he will call his people Israel back to himself and redeem them And Christ will draw them in. Christ will once and for all take care of their enemies. It's a powerful message. Chapter 14, verse 4 says this. He says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. God is an amazing God and it's beautiful to see his redemptive work. And scripture tells this over and over and over. The redemptive work of our God. It's not unique to Hosea. And we see this. We see the character of our God. He is constantly reaching out for mankind that he loves so deeply. I love that we get 17 weeks in the prophets looking at the filth and disgust of sin and we get four weeks in the gospel going, wow, God, you are amazing. Because when we look at our sin, when we look at our hearts, we find that we relate more with Gomer than we do with Hosea. And we come to remember that redemption. If you didn't grab uh, a communion cup as you came in, please raise your hand and the ushers will get that for you. But a book like Hosea causes one to take pause. To pause and reflect on one's heart. Has the sin in one's life become commonplace? There is no shock anymore. Allow God to examine your heart. I would ask right now that we all take a moment just to bow our heads. Don't focus on the neighbor. Focus on your heart before God the redemptive work that we remember, God would demonstrate to the world His greatest act of redemption, His greatest act of love, not just to Israel, but to all mankind through the promise He originally gave to Adam and Eve. Through the seed of Abraham, the line of David, would come the promised Messiah. Jesus Christ, we we come to the place of remembrance of that redemptive work, understanding that we are sinners. All of us born into sin, yet God never sinned. Jesus never sinned. In John 3.16, it says, For God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He came to offer life. There was a debt. You and I owed a debt. Our sin. Oh, and the debt was steep. And Christ would pay with His blood. I love what Romans 5.8 says. It says, while we were still sinners. Not when we cleaned ourselves up. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And folks, that's how he demonstrated his love. What a passionate love. And we come this day to remember that Jesus, before he would would give his life, Before he paid that debt, he met with those he loved so dearly. Jesus would take the bread, giving another picture. Oh, I love that God illustrates with pictures so I can understand. And he took that bread and he broke it. He broke that bread. When we come to this time of remembrance, we do so understanding what God has done for us. It says in the scripture that we are to examine ourselves when we do this, that we would not do it unfaithfully, but we would resolve those things and then come to the table. He broke that bread. And he told them, this is my body, broken for you. Oh, that God would come in the flesh and pay that price for you and I. He asked a blessing on it. I ask that we bow our heads now. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father. We are in such great need of you. And we come to a moment like this where we remember your redemptive work for us, for all mankind. God, we say thank you. God, we thank you for the, the remembrance of the bread broken as you were broken and beaten for us. As you bore your sin upon, our sin upon your body. God, thank you. Lord, as we partake of the bread this morning, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we partake? And what a beautiful picture that he would take the cup. A covenant of love. One that would shed his blood for your sin and mine, the redemptive work required the shedding of blood. He said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. <laughs> Remember me as often as you drink it. Let's ask a blessing. God, we. We don't fully understand the steep price. The great debt of our sin. But God, you paid. You paid the steep price. The shedding of your blood. God, we thank you for sending your son. Thank you for demonstrating your love in such a powerful way. And God, this morning we ask as we remember the shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, the blessing on the cup. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we partake? When I finished sharing about Hosea, one of the guys asked, he goes, so is your like application going to be to tell people to go and find a harlot? I said, no. No. The application is far greater. The application is looking at a God who would love us so much in spite of our sin. In spite of who we are. And a God who would pay my debt. said, I want people to understand His heart for them. It's interesting, it was very noisy on the fire last night, but it was quiet after I said that. As we leave here this morning, let's understand the depth of God's love for you and I. And let's place Him. Let's come back to Him and make Him truly the love of our life. May we not fornicate, but be faithful as He is faithful. Nathan.